A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. David Cumes was born and raised in South Africa and has been exploring ancient African wisdom from contemporary ideas on healing for some time. He has been initiated as an African shaman, Sangoma, and can testify personally to the value of their divining techniques the powerful rituals and plant medicines, the altered states of consciousness induced by drumming, and the diagnostic power of the bones. Dr. Cumes is committed to bridging Western allopathic medicine and ancient African healing wisdom. Western medicine has brought us many boons, but there are glaring deficiencies as well. We focus too much on the intellectual, cognitive, and scientific and too little on the intuitive, receptive, artistic, compassionate, and mystical. Going back to our root or core self with the help of ancient African wisdom and nature gives us not only an understanding of our origins, but a clear perspective of a new and at the same time very old paradigm of healing, unconfined to space-time continuum. Wilderness is the Garden of Eden archetype, and the ultimate source of all healing. The original Sangoma medicine arose from the natural world, and this healing medicine will never change. Welcome, Dr. Cumes. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Hi, I've been much more purposeful this year about trying to curate content that goes together. And in February, and maybe bleeding into March a little bit, we're going to be talking about healing. So spontaneous healing, epigenetics, some African healing rituals, and just different ways to think about how you heal. So if you haven't subscribed to my podcast yet, please do so. You can just subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, you can sign up for my newsletter and course, my program that's coming up. Both of those you can do on my website at dramyrobbins.com. And don't forget to follow me on social, on Instagram, also at Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from you all, hearing how the podcast is opening you up, helping you shift and change your thoughts about things and your life. So check me out in any of those places. And here is today's podcast. So I got interested in what you're doing uh, from Lionel Friedberg, who I interviewed not long ago and was not at all even aware of any of this. And you are a urologist who was on staff. I don't know if you're still on staff at Stanford. So how do you, how does this work? You know, the Western and the, I guess, Eastern or South or the African um, way of treating and healing. Yeah. Well, at the moment, actually, I'm in practice still in Santa Barbara, but, you know, I left Stanford quite a while back. But essentially, uh, the way it works together is very well. Um, In essence, you know, I sort of went through an existential crisis with with my medical practice and was looking for an alternative healing technique and didn't really find what I was looking for. I started off with wilderness 
and wilderness, the concept of wilderness rapture, taking people out into remote areas for healing, but that wasn't very practical. But what happened, and just to give you a little background, was that uh, when I would go to South Africa with my groups, I would always check in with the local Sangomas, the, the shamans there, and I would have a divination with them, and they would say to me, in addition to answering my questions, they would say the, the ancestors on your mother's side are calling you to do our work, dreams, divination, and sacred plants. And I didn't pay any attention because I didn't believe I had any intuitive abilities. I thought I was just a left-brain surgeon until eventually the, the, the information became so compelling from different uh, uh, Sangomas and a woman who went into trance got possessed by a spirit and pretty much read me the riot act and said, you're not listening to your ancestors. Your very bad headaches won't go away until such time as you listen. So I, I relented. I went and I didn't think I could do it, but I initiated in Swaziland. And then I brought the medicine back to my practice. But in answer to your question, um, mostly it's more the attitude that I have than it is actually the literal use of uh, African medicine for 95% of my patients. I would say that a lot of them get something from the interaction, not only from me, but from Adrian, my business manager, who's just a lovely person, very welcoming to the office. Uh, and I'd say about 5% of the patients come to me because they want the alternative, they know who I am, and we integrate both things, the, the, the Western and the, and the, the African and they complement each other. Uh, allopathic medicine is very good uh, with, uh, you know, uh, the mind-body effect now, you know, that's kind of a new thing that's there. But the African wisdom goes way beyond that to what's called uh, medicine not localized in space and time, which means that the spirit world can inform you as to uh, events that are gonna happen in your life because they have a much bigger perspective of everything. Uh, they have a perspective not localized in, in time because they have access to your karmic life book. They know who you're supposed to be. They know what you've done up until the time that you are. And they can help guide you to your destiny, but they can't tell you what it is because of a cosmic free will law that disallows them to do that. So um, in reality, what happens with this non-local medicine is capable of making a psycho-spiritual diagnosis. I almost look at it as a, as a psycho-spiritual CAT scan, you know, where, you know, Western medicine much better for diagnosing illness, allopathic stuff. But when it comes to the psycho-socio-spiritual, the African is far better. So, for instance, the bones have a, a number of polarities. They're not just bones, but some articles, each of which has the polarity, yes and no, light and dark. And some of the bones, such as hyena, line bones, little ones, not big ones, uh, baboon, uh, um, hyena, sorry, and, and anteater, all have different energies. And the bones are thrown by a form of telekinesis. I don't throw them, or if you do the divination, you don't throw them. Essentially, the spirit force, who is a black woman who was a Sangoma in her previous life, she throws the bones for me, and I just read the message. Depending on how the bones line up, according to themselves, like the three possibilities, like this, like this, and then the opposite way around, and how they line up in relation to each other, and also how they line up in relationship to the mat. So there is an intellectual component, but there's also a very strong intuitive component. 
And basically, I'm reading a foreign language. I'm reading the language that I've learned in my initiation that has been imparted to my, my woman, Sangoma, spirit, who probably did things a little bit differently in a previous life. Now she has to learn what my mentor is teaching me the bones mean. And I would say it's about 80-85% accurate. For instance, when I went originally to the Sangomas, without any question, they were all very competent. They all agreed with the fact that my ancestors had to initiate me. There was no, dis no disparity whatsoever. That's what made it so compelling. So uh, that's what I bring to the, the fore. And what ha also happens now, I'm seeing more patients that don't have urological problems. They may have pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, we want to know what to do, what sort of treatment they should have. Should they have radiation? Should they have chemo? Because everybody's different and will respond differently to, to what the inner healer wants. So when you talk about your ancestors, you're talking about your ancestors who have crossed over on the other side. Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's kind of a loaded term. Africans talk about the ancestors because it's usually your blood root ancestors you know, the, the immediate ones, your grandfathers, your grandmothers. But they identified Mpofu, who's the guide who helps me as a foreign ancestor, what they call a Mandawi spirit, so that she's not from my, my past life. But a lot of the ancestors you have, your spirit guides are from past lives. They are your mothers, your fathers, your brothers, your lovers, your friends from way, way back. And they, uh, they come to help you because love is the juice that allows them to go across the veil between worlds. It's a love vibration which allows them to get through. It's not that easy to get through. Um, so, you know, most of the, the so-called ancestors are way, way, way back. You don't even know who they are. But it's not unusual for people, you know, I used to think it was silly. But, you know, for someone to have a Tibetan ancestor or Native American ancestor, I've been an African in two of my past lives. I've been a Druid and a Celt, and I've been a Kabbalist in previous lives. So I tap into those three genres, which is also the genres of music that I really connect to. Mm. And so when you talk about throwing the bones, you're literally throwing animal bones. Are there certain bones that, I mean, are those bones you mentioned always the bones that are used to throw? Or is it, is there a process to finding the bones and, and what each bone means? Yes. It, well, there's a process to finding them. But I got a rudimentary set from my, my mentor when I started and then I knew which bones were missing that I went to a Sangoma market in Johannesburg and I, I purchased what I needed to purchase and then I purified them. And I, you know, my ancestor, my guide already knew how, which ones were going to work for what. For instance, the hyena is the thief that comes in the night. So if you're looking for a lost object or a lost person or something that's stolen, you look to the hyena bone. Uh, if you're looking for rebirth or for death, uh, uh, death of not necessarily a physical, but a metaphoric death of your destiny, you look at the anteater bone because the anteater is the animal that digs the grave, mm. um, you know, looking for ants and so on. So uh, each, each uh, bone has its own particular energy and it sort of knows where to go. How the spirit force allows them to be thrown in such a way is to me a complete miracle. I can't understand it, you know, but they do it. And, you know, as my mentor said to me, because I doubted my abilities, he said, just read it. She's telling you what to say. And you just read it. And most of the time you get it right. But free will rules because 
You know, for instance, money, there are two uh, particles of coins there that represent money. Money and energy are the same in the bones. So it may say you broke, you have no money, you know, but it might mean you burnt out, you need a, you need a vacation. You know, it's an energetic mm. depletion rather than a, a financial depletion. And... I mean, I'm I'm so fascinated by the meaning of the bones because it sounds like it really is in alignment with what the animal represents, which in some ways, in, in all ways, is really the connection to nature, right? And what nature teaches us about the role yes. that, I mean, I had, I was lucky enough to go to Africa two years ago, a year and a half ago, and to see this, the how nature works together is so miraculous. And it sounds like this is just taking those representations into um, a manifestation of how we live our lives. Absolutely. You know, that's so true. It's a nature-bound thing. It came out of nature. You know, the Bushmen were the first people. And that's where my my journey actually began. And they told me, that they were the ones who introduced the, the African, the Bantu uh, neighbors. Remember the Bushmen always were in Southern Africa and maybe they spread out beyond and they are the first people genetically. But the Bantu migrated from the North down to, to the South. So they, they weren't there originally, they were there for about the last thousand years or so. So there was a lot of interaction between the, the Bushmen and the Africans there, the Bantu people. And the Bushmen told me on several occasions that they were the ones who introduced the, the Bantu neighbors to the idea of bones. But the idea of a divination is, is old in Africa and all sub-Saharan Africa. But I don't know, I haven't traveled much to the north, but I think when you go to some of the places like Guinea Fossa, the, uh, the healers there, the Sangomas or whatever you call them, use shells and other articles rather than bones. So I think the Bushmen were so tied into nature, it's such a strong connection to the animals. You know, they could dance the animal, you know, they could make them in order to hunt. So I think from that, out of that developed this affinity for understanding the personality of the animal and the affinity for the spirit force to identify that, that power and to throw the bones more easily in that fashion. Now, do all, this might sound naive, like a naive question, but do all, uh, tribes or Bushmen or, I guess, tribes in Africa have Sangomas? Is that like a medicine people, I guess? Is that expected in yes. every... All, all Sub-Saharan... Yeah, absolutely. All Sub-Saharan Africa is very similar. You know, the traditions are very similar. They believe in the ancestors or spirit guides, they being the... And that's true for probably most shamans, you know, the Native Americans say, all my relations, which is interesting because they don't confine it to your immediate blood relations. It goes beyond your immediate blood to, to the past. So, yeah, it's very germane to all sub-Saharan Africa. I know one Sangorma said to me, it's like the, the roofs of their huts, you know. They have poles going to the, to the top, to the pinnacle, and then they have a thatch roof. And each of these tribes has an original, has a single origin, and they all differ in the way they do it. For instance, mm -hmm. the 12 tribes in South Africa, all of them use bones, but they might use, for me, the baboon is the trickster. For somebody else, the baboon might be sickness, you know. Uh, but the energy of the baboon bone, the crocodile bone, the hyena bone, 
it's completely different to the lion bone, which is the ancestor, the spirit guides. You know, those are your, that's your where your power is coming from. You're do only you, as powerful as your ancestors. Uh, do you do you need to renew your bones, or do once you have your set, do they stay good forever, or is there something with the energy of them that over time? <laughs> that's a very good question. You know, when I started off in South Africa, life is very simple there. If you do bones of divination for a bushman or an African, a rural African, you don't need too many bones. But when you come to California, where life is complex. There are many more polarities. So I've introduced different bones to my spirit guide to say this bone is going to be meaning for this. Like, you know, I have a bone, for instance, for, for just about every possible polarity of our complicated, sophisticated way of life in the United States. Hmm. Um, and Lionel, the one you mentioned, actually gave me the moon goddess, a tiny thing of the moon goddess, which in, in African uh, terms that is representative for me, the, the Kundalini, uh, you know, what the, the, the Zulus call the Umbalini and what the Bushmen called Num, this universal you know, energy that the yogis talk about. Everybody has it. It's not just, you don't have to just do it. The interesting thing about it, I've been practicing yoga for 30 years. And when I started off, I, I never saw anybody who could induce a, uh, a Kundalini experience spontaneously, but if you you know you've watched some of those videos, those people are getting spontaneous Kundalini experiences with drumming and dancing, which is phenomenal. You know, much harder for a Westerner to do that. For my listeners, can you explain what a Kundalini experience is? For yeah, Kundalini in in uh, yoga terms is a is a potential feminine Shakti energy residing at the base of the spine. It's coiled like a snake at the base of the spine. And when you mobilize it with spiritual uh, practice or drumming or dancing in African sense, then it can move up the spine and charge all the chakras, the energy centers up the spine and balance the, the two main channels, the sun and the moon channel, which spiral around uh, the central the channel of the spine. When the sun and moon, the masculine feminine are all balanced together, the kundalini can rise, and if it meets, goes to the top of the head, which is the Shiva principle, the male principle, then you get the so-called oneness experience of the of the yogi, you know, unity consciousness. But in terms of, it, it has different manifestations. For the bushmen, they trance, they travel out of body to the spirit world. For the sangomas, when they have a kundalini, or what the Zulus would call a numbalini, the ego steps aside, because that's part of the kundalini, you get rid of your ego, and a spirit force comes in and channels through you. It actually takes over your body completely. You get possessed. Very profoundly different to trans-channeling where the spirit is sort of over there and you're intuitively feeling what they're saying to you. This is where some, something comes into your body and channels through you, which my, my grandfather and my mother's side said, you will not get possessed because my tradition doesn't allow you to give up your free will to anybody, never, no, no matter how enlighten the spirit. So I did in my initiation do trans channeling, but I was told by the by the ancestors that my way was going to be divination. They said that if I got mm. possessed anyway in California, they'd think I was crazy. They'd lock me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm like imagining, what do your colleagues say about this? Do they know? Well, what do they think? Yeah, a lot of, I don't know what they really say, but I think a lot of them, some of them come for divinations, 
And, you know, uh, I, have, I have a protective bracelet that I give to people who need protection. It's a red bracelet because red is always the color of protection. It's worn on the left wrist. It's usually made out of silk. And I impregnated with sacred plants. And, you know, I've given doctors that thing when they go to surgery. I've given nurses as well. They don't necessarily come for divination. But, you know, where I work in the operating room, people say, oh, you must have seen Dave Cubes because they recognize the red bracelet. Uh So I think I get a lot of support from more the nurses than the doctors. Uh, But uh, some of the doctors certainly, I think some of them think I'm crazy. The others are okay with me because I'm good at my job, you know, but they can't say to me, oh, this guy's lost it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I work well. Do you find a higher success rate in your healing or in your practice as a result of integrating these two, these two types of medicines? I don't know if it's a higher success rate, but I think I'm able, there'll be patients sometimes I dream about, and then that helps me in my practice or my surgery funnily enough my business manager gets dreams for me as well because we are on two different channels so she will download dreams that will help me in my practice and sometimes i'll throw bones for for somebody to see if i should do the surgery and they'll say no don't or they'll say yes go ahead so i don't think i'm more, more successful but i think Put it this way, I screw up less often mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think I get information as to what not to do rather than what to, what to do, you know. And can you explain a little bit how uh, Sangomas differ from shamans in other cultures? Because you explored sort of all of that, right? I mean, you've explored shamanism yes. in other cultures as well. Correct. You know, I started off in Peru because my ex-wife, you know, was very interested in spending time there. And I experienced the curanderos there. I did ayahuasca a couple of times in the Amazon, which I found very beneficial. But the the principle of uh, uh, trance uh, information in the Americas is frequently with mind-altering plants in so-called entheogens, you know, ayahuasca, the vision violet of the jungle, San Pedro cactus, which is mescaline, which you see more in the mountainous and the desert areas. And that was informative, but I didn't like the idea of having to take something in order to get into that state. Uh, The Native Americans also use peyote and maybe mushrooms, but they have their own sense of divination, sometimes I think through sand paintings. Uh, So they all are doing the same thing, but in different ways. Dreams are important for everybody. Um, uh, trans channeling, I think, happens with all of them. Um, dreams are very much scripted in the African context. You get to the point where you learn how ancestors script your dreams. So the interpretation is very different to a psychological interpretation. The interpretation is actually more literal. You know, if you see your plane, you're going to take a flight to somewhere and you'll see your plane going down in flames. It doesn't mean you're going to you know, it just means cancel your flight, there's something wrong, you know, it might mean you're going to be delayed, or it doesn't mean you're going to die. But the, the, the really bad scripted warning dreams are usually very exaggerated to give you the message. But I think they all overlap. And some of them use mind altering substances, Africans say we pray by singing and dancing. And that's how they get into these states. And that was more true for me, not to mention that's my roots. 
and also in a sense my uh, my blood route as well because I know when I, I had a second mentor when I built this healing center in the north of South Africa and he tested me again and he said to me, you are now Ndoro Nyama, you are a black man. You know, they recognize in me that there was some blackness in me, you know, there was some some Africanism in me, that, that I was part of them, even though my skin was white. Um, so, yeah, they all have similar things. Uh, they all pretty much are using uh, spiritual forces to help them. They pretty much all use plants. Some of them are mind-altering. I think they relate to dreams in different ways, possibly. And if they have, the one thing I do think that I've never seen anything as sophisticated as the divination methods as I experienced in Southern Africa. I think as you go further north, they're equally effective, but the idea of the animal bones that you, they bring to it is just, you know, takes it to another level of interest and, and fascination to me. And so the Sangoma that throws the bones is an ancestor who is not in physical body or is in physical body? Correct. It's not in physical body. They, frequently, you know, there's a karmic connection um, because karmically, when you go to the astral realm and you pass over the veil to the other side, you lose free will. You no longer have free will. Your karma is set in stone, pretty much set in stone. But you can complete work that you never did in your previous life by helping somebody on this side of the veil. So what she's doing is she's completing work she didn't do before through me. So I can't read the bones without her and she can't do anything without me. So there's a really a very nice synergy that goes on that's based on gratitude, you know, essentially is just to, in, in, in ritual, in the sacred space, you know, you always have gratitude. You give a, a little, you, you light a candle, you open up sacred space, you offer tobacco to her to say, please help me. And then, you know, you close the space afterwards. And so when someone would come to you to have their bones read, is how long does that process take? What does that look like? How is that informed then how they go and live their lives? Yeah. You know, it takes, it takes as long as it takes. Sometimes it's very quick and people have financial restraints. I try not to let that bother them that they can always pay off the balance, you know, because it's once you're in it, you may as well finish it. It's not like psychotherapy where you keep coming back. You only come back if you have a question. So there are two ways to do it. The one way is you just come and you just see what the general throw sh shows and then you go from there. It's more cost efficient and time efficient because if, patient, if people come with their questions first, and the question, because of free will, should be, how does it look for me? How does it look for me to buy this house? You can ask any question. How does it look for me to go to India to this ashram? Uh, they will tell you because they have this incredibly broad view and they can see the people there. They know their character. You're going to buy a house. They'll tell you. They'll know that the realtor's a crook or that there's problems with the roof. You can't fool them. You know, they have that kind of information. Mm -hmm. So usually it takes anything from an hour to two and a half, three hours. And it's like medicine. There's the diagnostic bones and then there's the therapeutic, which is usually in the form of, of sacred plants and sometimes in the form where it's really necessary of a healing in the, you know, I do it in a yurt in my garden. 
uh, you know, in the form of a healing ritual to somebody who really needs it. But essentially, you're pulling in the ancestors to do not only the diagnostics, but the healing. Um, there's now good information that distant healing works, you know, um, uh, there's scientific evidence to show that. So most of the time it's done with, uh, with rituals at home, you know. And how do you, why do you think Western medicine techniques have gotten so far from all of these traditional indigenous healing practices? And how do you think we can bring them back without, without Westernizing them too much that they get like colonized to what is, you know, more kind of what we've done with, with so much other stuff in our culture? Yeah, sadly, you know, it's so, so complex now and so super specialized. It's almost like you have a duality and you can't change the duality. Western medicine has made the mistake of evidence-based medicine. So it can't be evidence-based because it's always changing. The guidelines are always changing. So that we don't know what the hell's going on most of the time. We do the best we can at the time with the evidence that we know, which is always changing with more research. And the other thing that's gone out the window is uh, electronic medical records, which has detached people from their doctor. Their heart, you know, I get complaints. He never touched me. All he did was he didn't examine me. He looked at his computer the whole time. So the, 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 the doctor-patient relationship, the bedside manner has gone out the window and the insurance and big business has taken over. So you don't even have the doctor anymore. You have a provider, you know, uh, now, what's mm. a provider? You know, my gardener is a provider. Um, so, and he's actually more spiritual than some of the doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, the thing is, Einstein said not every, everything that counts can be counted. And not everything that can be counted counts. There's stuff that you cannot evaluate with science and, and data. And if you use that too much, it cuts your way, cuts you out from your, your intuitive abilities. The best doctors are intuitive, and, but they don't even know and they won't even admit they are. But, you know, my surgical professor in South Africa that trained me, he was psychic, but he would never admit it. He just seemed to know exactly what was going on always, all the time. Now, you could say that was experience, but I know that it wasn't. It, you know, he was going beyond his clinical experience. Is that how he labeled himself or did he ever oh, no, own that? I, he would never admit to that. He would say, no, it's, you know, it's just experience. It's not anything else. You know, he wouldn't admit to intuitive powers. But the reality, and you know, I think everybody knows this, if you go to a psychotherapist like yourself, you are going to be much more powerful than somebody else who's not using intuitive knowledge, you know, and the patient will feel it, you know, they'll want to come back to you. Uh, the same is true if you go to a body worker. You know, my daughter does body work. She's intuitive. She knows exactly what's going on. She's reading the body. She's actually sometimes getting downloads from, from her guides about what's going on, you know, whether there's a spirit around you or something. And it takes the whole idea of healing to another level. But the trouble with, with medicine now, and I'm lucky because I'm at the tail end of my practice, I do what I want and I do... And I use my, my Sangorma work, you know, my, most of my time is devoted to, even though the money comes from the practice, most of my time is devoted to the work we're talking about. 
Um, but most people can't do that. They've got to keep up to date and things are always changing. And they, you know, the, I feel bad for my colleagues because they're burnt out. They're unhappy. There was just a study I read that Danish doctors are not nearly as burnt out as American doctors. Hmm. Good reason, because of big money, big pharma, and, you know, the fact that we've lost control of our own destiny. We have, you know, we have no dignity left, really. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because my grandfather was a was a pediatrician and was yeah. was a healer in the kind of old fashioned way where he just went with his gut, really. I mean, and and I remember when he retired and we had his retirement party, so many people coming saying, your grandfather saved my life or my child's life. Just He just knew exactly what was needed at the time and knew what to do, even though now, you know, everything is so subspecialized that you would never look at the whole person and say, oh, I just know this is what this is because you were, you know, you're either peds this or neurology or urology. Or there's not as much of a sense of the whole anymore and there's been like a I think a, a real movement away from the art of healing definitely uh, it definitely so it doesn't mean to say there aren't physicians who are bridging the gap more and more there are you know but integrated medicine usually you know there's cause and effect you know the the Newtonian model which is the way I was trained you know everything is connected to a cause and, you know, you can always break it down into systems, which is, you know, which has been replaced now in integrated medicine by the mind body and uh, interaction and neuroscience. But there are very few people who are doing non-localized medicine, you know, medicine not localized in space and time. Mm -hmm. And if they are, it's going to be very hard for them to say that they are because the profession would not acknowledge it. Um, you know, I've got a sort of a reputation in town, so I think I'm okay. And then I've got an MD behind me and all the rest. So people do listen to me. But if I was in you know, a black person coming to this program from like my mentor who knows much more than I do, nobody would believe him because he probably can't read and write, you know? So, you know, the, the ancestors basically said to me, Go back to your roots and sit on the floor of a hut of somebody you cannot learn, you cannot read and write and learn something. You know, and that's what we've lost. We've lost that connection, that, uh, with that, that tribal, indigenous, primal force that is so key to the inner healer. Mm-hmm. And, and so far from, I mean, we've gotten so far from that. Like everything that we know has to be something, to your point, that is taught in a book that's been evidence-based that is, you know, researched and researched. And it's like, well, but there's so many people who heal in other ways. And then those, those just get dismissed. Yeah. But you know, we need both because, you know, there's magic in the allopathic, just like there is in the, in the, in the shamanic and we need both. But the sad thing is there's this, uh, the schism in a sense, because mm-hmm. you're not going to get it from your doctor, most likely, not in the United States, I don't think, unless you're lucky. So you've got to go to your shaman on the one side and you've got to go to your doctor on the other side. But if you look at a lot of the big centers now in the United States, they're using a lot of integrative stuff, you know. They're using meditation, they're using all sorts of things now, but not yet non-local stuff that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
Well, wow, this was a fascinating conversation. I'm so glad that I well, it's great. <laughs> that I followed this path because I was very curious um, when I heard from your friend everything that he shared about his experience. So if people are interested in your work, can you tell us where they can find you? Yes, my website's davidcumes.com. Um, you know, and I think my office uh, number is there. My email is there if they want to email me for information. And uh, I, I've got a blog where, you know, every, every week I sort of discuss one aspect of it. The moment is actually walk with a white sangoma because I just gave a, a lecture on it to the, uh, uh, the school, yeah, the School for Extended Learning in Santa Barbara. So if anybody's interested in that, uh, now, because of Zoom, anybody can, you know, they just have to register with the school and they can go online and, uh, and register. I don't, and I'm very bad at marketing. I, sh- I haven't even put my, any of that in my blog, but I should for, for my coming talk on, uh, on Saturday a week. So the blog and talks about right, two a semester and um, there's some information on the website that the talks are actually recorded you know like this is so uh, uh, even the non-zoom ones are recorded so if people are interested in sangoma technology there's stuff there there are a couple of talks on the kundalini if they're interested and so on one question bef- one last question before we end was is this in your family are other family members sangomas or intuitive in this way interesting you know not really it's i'm, I'm an anomaly um, you know, my dad's side of the family, my father was pretty intuitive in terms of, uh, I remember my mother said he was a very, very good judge of character. Uh, but my mother's side were all um, very much left-brained, uh, entrepreneurial people. My favorite uncle, who was very influential on my mother's side in my initiation, was a farmer. And uh, he was a very loving guy. I think he must have been intuitive at some level because he always seemed to make the right decisions about life rather than about money. And he would always talk about his brother who was a multimillionaire and say, he's lost the way, you know, he's miserable with all his money. And he was a happy farmer. He was a pig farmer. So Mm. he he was a very cool guy. So no, I'm not aware of anybody in my family bloodline. Hmm. Well, thank you. I will put all your information in my show notes as well for people who are interested in learning more, which I am sure my audience will be because this is something new to them. So they always like to, I think, take it one step further. Okay, well, thanks for having me. It's been talking. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>